All right, well, good morning, faith family. It's good to see y'all. Great to be in the house of the Lord. I'm excited for the opportunity. Even have some family in. I'm not going to try to embarrass them or anything, but my wonderful sister and her husband are in. From the, they're uh, serving our nation in the Coast Guard, and they're here visiting with us for a little bit. So be sure to say, tell them hello. Um, very thankful to be up here this morning with you all today. <clears throat> so we're getting settled in here. You can see the title of the message is The Supreme Savior. And I figured I might need to share the definition of supreme before we get started. Uh, most people, if you're like me, think of um, Taco Bell, which you get on the side or something. Or uh, some kids wear a, a, some clothing gear that says supreme. And we might want to just def define that term. So here's the definition and why I chose that as the title. Supreme as an adjective means this, of authority or an office of someone holding it. And that position is to be superior to all others. I felt like that was very fitting for this text in Colossians today. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23. If you've got a Bible and I hope you do, go ahead and pull it out and head that way. If you don't have a Bible, we have one in front of you and um, we actually have those designated to um, for you to take if you don't have a Bible of your own. <clears throat> Alright, so as before we begin, I just want to say I just love being in the house of the Lord with you all. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity to share God's Word with you. Um, it's always a blessing to gather under the Word of God. Amen. Amen. I like, I like to make it abundantly clear at the start of every sermon I, I ever give that... Um, Apart from the Spirit of God and the Word of God, I, I genuinely am of no use to the people of God. And I don't, I don't just want to say that. I want to truly mean that. Um, as a matter of fact, I believe we are all in desperate need of the Holy Spirit this morning. The Holy Spirit's empowerment today. I need Him to help me deliver this message. And I believe that we both need Him to help receive this message. So because of this, before we go any further and turn to God's Word, I believe it's applicable for us to first turn to God and ask Him to bless our time together. So would you pray with me, if you will? Let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Heavenly Father, before we turn to Your Word, God, we turn to You. You are the author of it. We need Your help to explain it, to understand it, but most importantly, Father, to be transformed by it. We are not just here for mere information in our heads. We long for transformation in our lives. Father, we ask for the renewal of our minds this morning, that we might be transformed into the image of your Son. So we ask that you would sanctify us with your truth this morning. Your word is truth. Help us to become more like Jesus. Help us to worship Him more fully in the process. For as we will soon see, He is the author of life, the sustainer of life, the redeemer of life, the restorer of life. And we can say along with King David, Lord, You are our God, and we have no good apart from You. Lord, we freely confess that unless we abide in You, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would lead us, that it would guide us and direct us into and through your truth this morning. And Father, please use me as you see fit to glorify your name and edify your bride. God, 
We thank you for Red Cross Baptist Church. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, for providing us with amazing members who long to know you more, and for Pastor Jesse, who provides opportunities to do just that. We thank you for his faithfulness and his service to this church. And we ask that you would continue to use us all in a mighty way to glorify your name, to raise up disciples of all nations. For it is in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So church, Christmas is just six days away. You guys ready? So kind of. I saw some hands doing like this, right? Well, if you're anything like me, as soon as someone asks you a question like that, your mind immediately starts to race. Thinking about, well, did I buy everything for everyone on my list? Did I miss anyone or anything? Do I have all my get-togethers arranged on the calendar on the right days and at the right times? Did I knock out that grocery list? Did I tackle that honeydew list maybe? I don't know. But what if we could have all of those things done, all of those boxes checked, all those ducks in a row, and still not be ready for Christmas? What if we could have all those things done and still not be ready for the arrival of Christ? What if Christmas actually has something to do with something else? With none of those things in the first place? What if we have been swept along by the current of culture for so long that we have lost sight of what Christmas is really all about? I mean, just for a moment, consider that word, Christmas. We can break that one word apart into two, Christ and Mass. And as good Christians, like I'm sure we all are, we know all about that first word, right? Christ. The Holy One. The Anointed One. The long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. But truth be told, in the midst of the holiday hustle and bustle of life, we oftentimes forget about that second word that follows. Mass. M-A-S. In fact, we have cut it down a little bit from four letters to just three. For the word mass, M-A-S-S, in terms of a religious context, means the central act of worship. That's why Catholics call the worship services they attend mass. Now, we might not be Catholic. I understand that. But when we put those two words together, they should remind us of what Christmas is really and truly all about. It is to be a special day of worship that centers its focus not on food or on family, not on holiday sales or parties, but on the worship of Christ and of Christ alone. So in case you've been like me this holiday season and have lost sight of that reality, I just want to encourage you, let's let's repent together this morning. And do the one thing we failed to do in the first place, which got us into that position we now find ourselves in. In the words of one of my favorite songs, let us turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's look full at His wonderful face so that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in light of His glory and grace. May we use the Bible this morning to magnify the Messiah. And as we turn to God's Word, I pray that our hearts would follow. 
As we look upon the scriptures this morning, may they help us to set our gaze upon Christ. And in so doing, worship Him in response to gaining a better understanding as to who He is and what He has done on our behalf. This week I was thinking about that. Just how how wild it is to lose sight of something so big. I mean, how could we lose sight of something so massive as the Messiah? And as I was pondering that truth, I came to the realization that that's actually pretty easy to do. But it's not because of how big He is, but rather how small we are. You know, this weekend I took my wife to celebrate her birthday in Charlotte. And I was reminded of a few things and learned a few things. Number one, I, just, I learned how thankful I am to live in Stanley County. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? But number two, which actually has to do with this sermon, um, as we reached the crest of the hill, you know, on 2427, as you're heading to Charlotte, I could see off in the distance Charlotte, but she just looked so tiny. She looked so small. And you know, it's really hard to see it from just anywhere in Stanley County. Again, but it's not because of the lack of its size. Charlotte is a massive city. But when we drift so far away from it, or when we place things in our way that obstruct our view, it can be hard to see. And I thought the same thing could be said about our relationship with God. You know, sometimes we lose sight of something so big. Sometimes when we lose sight of it, it helps to gain a little altitude. For example, did you know on a clear day, you can see Charlotte on the top of Morrow Mountain? You should check that out. Go watch a sunrise or a sunset sometime out there. It's pretty wonderful. But we can think about reading the Bible similarly to climbing a mountain. You know, with each step along the way, we gain more and more elevation. And in turn, it helps us see more and more of who God is. And what He has done on our behalf. You know, at times it might be difficult to reach a summit. But the view a beautiful overlook brings keeps us coming back for more and more. Church, I believe, as I'm sure most of you all do, that every single passage in the Bible helps us gain a better understanding as to who God is. Every page helps us get a clearer picture as to who God is. But few passages in Scripture do so as clearly and as concisely as Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 23 does. I believe it is one of the Bible's highest peaks. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, if it graciously parts the clouds of confusion before us, I believe it will offer us one of the most incredible overlooks as to who Christ is and what He has done on our behalf to bring us back into a right relationship with the Father. You know, if our breath hasn't been taken away by the view, I believe we're going to use it to burst out into a song of joyous praise for what we behold. So the main idea of the message this morning, if you have your bulletin with you and you want to fill this in, please do so. Here's the main idea. Christ alone is worthy of worship. For He is the supreme Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer over all creation. Please open up your Bibles with me, if you will, to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We'll be in verses 15 through 23. And would you please stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word this morning?
the word of the Lord. He being Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thank you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul out of a response to false teachers who had crept into the church seeking to cause many people to take their eyes off of Christ. They did this by trying to diminish their view of Him. They did this by attacking who Christ is, as well as the implications that it holds for us, and what He has done on our behalf. See, Paul knew that if these teachings were left unchecked, they would lead many people astray from the true gospel, And bring the Colossian congregants into spiritual slavery that threatened to condemn them and also collapse their faith. So Paul's letter to the Colossian church is one of the most Christ-centered letters in the entire New Testament. In it, he expresses that a believer's main focus in life should be on exalting the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well as the realities that those truths should bring over every single one and every single thing. Church, the first truth I want to share with you this morning is this. Point number one, if you want to write this in, Christ is supreme over all creation. Colossians 1, 1.15. Paul starts off this passage by stating that Christ is the very image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. Translation for us, Christ is by nature God. He is divine. The incarnate life of Christ shows to the world who the otherwise invisible God is and what He does. And this is why we have to be so careful not to look for God anywhere else, for apart from Christ, whatever offers itself to us in the name of God will only turn out to be an idol. This is why it is of the utmost importance that if anybody is to come to know the Father, 
They must first be acquainted with His Son. This is why Jesus says in the Gospel of John that to know Him is to know the Father, for He and the Father are one. But it isn't just the ancient church that struggled with these false teachings. For the later part of this verse has been often taken out of context to be used and abused by cultish spinoffs from Christianity. They threatened the church today. Those, those such as the Jehovah's Witness movement or the Latter-day Saints Mormons. They tried to diminish the identity of Christ by saying that as the firstborn of all creation, Jesus is actually a part of creation. Meaning that there was a time in history when Jesus was not. Now perhaps the fact that Paul refers to Christ as the firstborn of all creation may at first glance appear to place Christ within the created realm. But this could not be further from the truth. Think of the historical and cultural significance of that term. Firstborn. How was it used then as opposed to how it's used today? What would it mean to be the firstborn male nearly 2,000 years ago? It would mean that you hold the highest position of rank and authority. It would mean that you are to receive all of your father's inheritance as a result of that standing. The title, the firstborn of all creation, tells us that Christ rules over all of creation as the rightful heir of all things. They belong to him. It means that Christ holds the highest position of authority because of his preeminence. We know this because Scripture clearly teaches us that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. <clears throat> he existed before all things. In the words of the Nicene Creed, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Listen to this next part. Begotten not made of the same essence as the Father. Church, if this is true, then Christ deserves the same amount of honor, glory, and reverence that the Father receives. For in many ways, there is no real difference between the two. For they are both co-eternal, of the same substance. They are both equal in power and glory. We need to be prepared to defend that truth. Because attacks on the deity of Christ may present themselves the very next time you hear a knock on your door. Do you know that Christ is supreme over all of creation? Well, if so, are you prepared to defend it? But Christ is not just supreme over all of creation. Point number two tells us from Colossians 1, 16, that Christ is the very source of of all creation. Colossians 1.16 literally says that all things, literally every single thing, in heaven and on earth, whether you can see it or not, including powers and authorities, were created by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Paul explains who Christ is by explaining what he has done. In direct contrast to what these false teachers were saying, 
Christ can't be a part of creation. For he is the very source of creation in the first place. Through Christ, all things were made. This is why in the first chapter of John, in his account of the gospel, it testifies to this reality and it unpacks it further by stating that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things that were made were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made. Later on in chapter 1, it states that this Word, which was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Church, that's undeniable. It's talking about Christ. This is Christ. The Bible clearly teaches that Christ is God, for not only does Christ create, but Christ creates by Himself, through Himself, and for Himself. This means that all of creation, including you and me, are His rightful property. Whether we realize it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we surrender to that truth or not, there is not a single square inch in the entire created universe to which Christ does not call out mine. This is one of the main reasons why Christ is supremely worthy of worship. For all of creation has Him as its source. In church, we were created for Him. We were made to give Him glory. And dear friends, this is why nothing else in this world can satisfy you. This is why nothing else can quench our thirst. Christ alone is the living water. Christ alone is supremely sufficient. For He alone is the source of even life itself. You know, as glorious as it is for Christ to be supreme over all creation and the source of all creation, there are still more glorious truths to be seen. For as point number three tells us, Christ is also the sustainer of all creation. Colossians 1, 17 through 19. In verse 17, it, ex it expresses that Christ sustains His creation. It does this by saying that before all things, Christ is before all things, and in Him... All things hold together. You know, just as the sun is at the very center of our solar system, holding every single thing together with its gravitational pull, it also sustains all of creation with its life-giving rays. So too Christ is the life-giving light of the world. He is currently holding all of creation together. You know, some may think to themselves, we were... We were talking about this earlier this morning. There's a lot of hardships going on. It's, at times it can seem like the world is falling apart, right? Some might think Christ isn't holding everything together. You know, my life feels like it's falling apart. It sure feels like my world is crashing in on me. But let me ask you, my dear friend. Is Christ at the rightful center of your life today? Does everything that you think, say, or do revolve around who He is and what He has done for you? If that's true, I'm going to ask you, let me see your Bible just for a second. Because a Bible that's worn out 
and falling apart often belongs to someone whose life isn't. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to be clear on this. I am not saying that Christians won't have trouble. Jesus himself told us, in this world, we will have trouble. He warned us about that. But he also said that if we build our lives upon the solid rock of his word, no matter how great the winds of life hit us, no matter how hard the rains of the storm beat against us, our house will stand. For it is built upon the cornerstone, the rock of ages, the one who has stood the test of time, the one who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us, the one who said, if I am for you, nothing else can stand against. Whether we realize it or not, Christ continues to sustain us. He holds all things together by his power. Hebrews 1.3 gives us a glimpse of what this looks like. It says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. Sustaining everything in the universe by the word of his power. The same source of power which brought life into being is the same source of power that continues to sustain it today. The life-giving power of his word. Christ sustains all creation. But if we look closely in verse 18, look closely. It shows us that Christ specifically sustains his church. In this verse, Christ is described as the head of the body, the church. And we can draw out many truths from that statement, especially those pertaining to the authoritative position of Christ as our husband. Christ is the authoritative head over his church, but there's also a very sweet sustaining aspect we should consider as well. For example, think about your body for a second, right? Now, you might not be a biology major, but what does your head do for you? Does it not serve as the source from which the entire body receives all its vital energy and nutrients that we need? That's where the water comes in, the oxygen comes in, the nutrition comes in. And it's transferred from the head to all of the members. In this same way, the life of the church flows directly from Christ as our head. And you know what? You can take my body and you can sever any limb you want from my body today and it still will be alive and functional to some point. But as soon as you sever my head, I will immediately lie dead. So too, we can cut away many things from our church today. Like the style of music, the amount of members we have. Even as COVID has shown us, we can even take away this very building and still be alive and functional. But as soon as the church moves away from Christ as our head and we sever from him, the church will immediately lie dead. We have no life apart from him. This is why it is so vital that we remain abiding in him. That's why Paul is urging the Colossian church to hold fast to who Christ is. Verse 18 and 19 in Colossians 1 also expresses the preeminence of Christ in both his priority and authority. 
You know, this is pretty interesting. That term preeminent, it's so important. For example, that is the only place in the entire New Testament you will see that word. It is reserved for and specially selected by Paul because he's implementing something. He's trying to describe to the church who Jesus is. The reason for this has to do with the definition of preeminent. It means having paramount rank, dignity, or being of the utmost importance. You know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul specifically deployed that term to clear up any misconceptions as to who Jesus is or how he is supposed to be viewed, understood, respected, or worshipped. But what does that mean for our lives? Because Christ alone is supremely worthy of worship, because he is of the highest authority, Christ should hold the highest priority in our lives. Again, because Christ is of the highest authority, he should be of the highest priority in our lives. But does your life reflect that? Colossians also tells us that in Christ, the fullness of God dwells. Did you catch that? It didn't just say part of God or some of God or most of God. It says that all of God, the very fullness of God, dwells in Christ. Christ lacks nothing in regard to his status of deity. Because of all of God's fullness resides in Christ, every single spiritual reality we could ever need is to be found in Christ and Christ alone. In Christ, we will never have a lack, for he is all we need. Consider another profound reality, right? Christ is continually full. Christ can never be depleted. That means no matter how many times we go to him in prayer, no matter how often he gives of himself freely to believers, he can always keep giving his life-sustaining power, for it will never run dry. This is why there is no need to seek satisfaction from any other source on the planet other than Christ. For He is infinitely and supremely sufficient for any want, hurt, or need that we could ever possess. You know, we have looked at so many reasons why we should worship Christ this morning. He's supreme over all creation. He's the source of all creation. He's the sustainer of all creation. But this next, this next truth is perhaps one of the sweetest of all. This is point number four if you're following along. Christ is also the Savior of all creation. Look with me, if you will, in Colossians 1, 20-22. Christ is the Savior of all creation. Why? Because He reconciles all things through Himself and to Himself. And he does this for the purpose of accomplishing peace through the blood of his cross. You know, that section focuses on the redemptive work of Christ as our Savior, the Savior of the world. It even expresses that Christ has reconciled all things through himself and to himself. You know, reconciled is also a very important term. It describes the restoration in legal disputes or a balancing out of accounts. 
It highlights the fact that Christ has brought legal restitution by paying off the debt that we acquired. Now you might be saying, well, what debt? Well, Romans tells us that the wages of sin, the payment that we deserve is death. Christ in all of his radiant glory made that payment on the cross. Christ has made peace with God through the blood of his cross. Do you realize how amazing that is? This hit me like a ton of bricks just last night. What an amazing statement. Peace with God was accomplished through the brutal murdering of his son. You know, I don't know about you, but if you murder one of my little ones, the last thing in either of our lives is going to be peace. But not so with God. Because of the abundance of his grace, because of the riches of his mercy, because of the great love for which he has for us, he endured the cross on our behalf. And in so doing, he reconciled those two hostile parties towards one another with his own body of flesh. For his body was broken, but it allowed for the churches to be mended. His wounds allowed for us to be healed. His punishment brought us peace. His separation from the Father allowed us to be brought near and united to him. The death of Christ brought new life to his bride, the church. But it even had power to do more than that, to accomplish more than just reconciliation. It also brought us restoration. This is why Paul uses the phrase, in order to present the church as holy, as blameless. Church, if you're hidden in Christ this morning, you are above reproach. For those who are hidden in Christ today are washed in his blood. We have been renewed. We now stand before a holy God as justified, as holy, as blameless. But we should never forget this is only because of the perfect, finished work of Christ on the cross. It allowed for his righteousness to be credited to our accounts. And this brings us to the last and final point of the message today from Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Point number five. Christ is the security of our salvation. The final verse in this passage serves as a concluding application to the church. Christians are compelled to hold fast to who Christ is and to what he has done for them on the cross. You know, it might appear at first glance after these statements found in 15 through 22 that focus how everything is dependent upon God. On who God is and what he has done for us as believers. But now it seems as though it shifts a little bit, right? It suddenly shifts its dependence upon us. But that's not the case. We know this because Paul's entire argument leading up into this point is not about the efforts of the church. But rather about the church's total and complete dependence upon Christ. Paul's focus here is on where believers place their trust. He compels them to continue in your faith. 
Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. A church's, a Christian's life is about making progress. We are to continue along this journey, but as we keep moving forward, we should never focus on anything other than Christ, the Messiah, the one who makes all of this possible in the first place. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says that as we run with endurance this race, may we continue to look to Christ. Church, we have to remember the, the, the reason we are on this journey to begin with is because of what Christ has done. He will finish it. We will finish this race as a result of what Christ will do. Church, Christ is the author of our faith. He is the founder of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. He will finish the good work He started. Christ started it as our source. He sustains it through His power. And He will indeed secure its final completion through His faithfulness and not our own. For all of these reasons, and so many, many more, this is why Christ alone is supremely worthy of worship. He is the Creator, the Sustainer, the Redeemer of all creation. So to the believers in the room, I want to ask you, have these truths gone from your head to your heart? As you have gotten into your Bible this morning, has your Bible got into you? Is this just more mere information or will this lead to actual transformation in your life? I want to I challenge you, start today. Get on your face before God and worship Him today and ask Him to restore to you the joy of your salvation. Go home. Open the book that has the power of eternal life. Go and tell others about the goodness of Jesus. Spread the gospel by simply sharing your joy with Jesus to others. But what about the unbeliever in the room? Colossians doesn't just tell us who Christ is. It doesn't just tell us what he has done. It also tells us who we are. It says that you were made by him. You were made through him. And you were made for him. Surrender to the Lordship of Christ today. And find the only source of true satisfaction for your soul. In the words of St. Augustine, your heart will be restless until it finds its rest in Him. You know, maybe this Christmas, you're looking at the little child in the manger. And you're looking around at the world around you and how broken and dark it seems to be. And you're thinking to yourself, how on earth can you fix this? This world is so broken. My life is so broken. How on earth can this little child fix this? Let me just encourage you with this. Church, he made it. He can fix it. The same power that brought life into being is alive and well today. It has resurrecting power. It has restoring power. So come to Christ today and see firsthand that He is supremely worthy of worship. He is supreme over all creation. He is the source of all creation. He is the sustainer of all creation. He is the Savior of all creation. And He is the security of our salvation. If you believe this, worship 
Christ today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it is perfect, infallible, inerrant, holy, and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we ask that you would use the word to cut away anything in this church that is not of you. Father, we long to bear fruit for the kingdom. We long to glorify you. Help us to love you. Help us to love others as a response. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.